Good morning. It's Wednesday, October 28th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. In this election cycle, a few states are defying old stereotypes about how their citizens vote. Today, we're looking at how the race for the White House is heating up in two key states, how changing demographics and a concentration of urban voters are making these states far more competitive than they've been in a long time. We start with Texas, where, to be clear, polling still favors Trump. That's right. Based on current polls, Biden is anywhere from roughly five points behind Trump to virtually tied with him in Texas. Robert Draper with Texas Monthly writes, even if Biden doesn't win the state, larger than expected turnout for him could help Democrats in competitive congressional races. Democrats believe they might have a chance to not only gain control of the state legislature for the first time since 2002, but also add up to four or more Democratic seats to its Texas delegation in the House. Draper writes, Even if Trump wins Texas, trends in the state suggest it's becoming more and more of a political toss-up. Over the years, GOP margins in recent presidential elections have been narrowing. In 2004, Bush won the state by 23 points. In 2008, that number dropped by half. McCain won by less than 12 points. And in 2016, Trump won Texas by a single-digit margin, just nine points. Two key shifts have happened in Texas that favor Democrats. One is the population in metro areas is on the rise, and so is urban voter turnout. Draper points out that in the 2018 midterms, nearly 70 percent of the state's votes were cast in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio and Austin. The second shift, he describes, even in the Texan suburbs, support for the GOP is waning. And, you know, both of these shifts have a lot to do with the fact that non-Hispanic white voters are a shrinking demographic in the state. Texas holds 38 electoral votes. Without them, Republicans have virtually no path to the White House. Now we turn to Georgia. It's another Republican stronghold, and yet... Joe Biden and Donald Trump are virtually neck and neck in the polls here. Biden made his first campaign trip to Georgia yesterday. That's a sign that things are looking more competitive in the state. He held a drive-in rally in Atlanta, but before that, he stopped and gave a speech in Warm Springs. That's where Franklin D. Roosevelt had a personal retreat where he would stay while getting treatment for polio. In a speech, Biden criticized President Trump's handling of the pandemic, and he evoked Roosevelt's legacy. This place... Warm Springs is a reminder that though broken, each of us can be healed. Bill Clinton was the last Democratic presidential candidate to win Georgia in 1992. Since then, it's been solidly red. But just this week, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution put out a poll showing Biden is expected to grab 47 percent of the vote. It also predicts Trump will get 46 percent. By the way, those predictions have a four-point margin of error. Both Senate races in Georgia may also be up for grabs. The race between Republican incumbent David Perdue and Democratic challenger John Ossoff is essentially a tie, according to most polling. In the other Senate race, which is a special election, a Democrat seems to be leading. But because there are so many candidates running, at least 20, that race is likely to go to a runoff, which would mean we may not know who wins on Tuesday. 
The Washington Post spoke with a political scientist, Alan Abramowitz, at Emory University, who explained why Georgia has become a battleground state this year. And the reasoning is pretty similar to what we're seeing in Texas. He broke it down into three main factors. One, high numbers of younger voters and voters of color. Two, white college-educated voters in Georgia moving to the left. And three, people in the suburbs in Georgia are drifting away from Republicans and shifting more toward Democratic candidates. Shemita, a Biden victory in Georgia is far from certain. Mm -hmm. Trump has a solid advantage among white voters in rural areas of the state, particularly in the southern region. Republican candidates have won these areas with as much as 90 percent of the vote. Plus, Trump has a big presence there. He traveled to Georgia twice in the past month. He sent campaign surrogates like his daughter Ivanka down there. And a pro-Trump super PAC spent millions of dollars on ads in Georgia. But even with those efforts, so far, early voting in Georgia is looking good for Democrats. As of earlier this week, more than 2.7 million Georgia voters had cast their ballots. That's including both by mail and in person. Turnout among Black voters is especially important for Biden. And so far, about a third of the total mail-in vote is made up of Black voters. Now, the Post spoke to this one GOP consultant in Georgia who talked about the 30-30 rule that political strategists often refer to when it comes to Georgia. And the wisdom goes, if Democrats can increase Black voter turnout to 30 percent and win at least 30 percent of white voters, they could win the whole state. Keith Ranieri, the founder of a criminal sex cult called Nexium, has been sentenced to 120 years in prison for sex trafficking and fraud. This years-long legal battle finally came to an end on Tuesday. Nexium is spelled N-X-I-V-M. It's a cult that for decades posed as a health and wellness program. At one point, it had 17,000 members and offered workshops and seminars that promised to give followers personal growth and, quote, greater self-fulfillment. But prosecutors categorized it as a criminal enterprise and illegal pyramid scheme, a way to bring in, groom, and pressure women to have sex with Ranieri. Pilar Melendez is a reporter for The Daily Beast, and she was in the room at Brooklyn Federal Court for the six-week trial and sentencing. She reports more than a dozen former Nexium members spoke out against the group's founder, in victim impact statements, the former members told the court that Ranieri manipulated women as well as underage girls into having sex with him, and that he forced the women he impregnated to have abortions. Earlier this year, HBO released a documentary series called The Vow, where former members explain how they became part of the group and its controlling and manipulative culture. Here's one woman who's referred to as Jane in the HBO documentary. He's such a good salesman. And the longer I talked to him, the more I realized the depth of the deception. It was about control. There were five other people charged along with him, all women, and all five pleaded guilty to racketeering charges. One of them, Claire Bromfman, who was the group's largest donor, was sentenced last month to 81 months in prison for the lengths that she went to to protect Ranieri. Dave Roberts. Backward strike three. Dodgers have won it all. 
What a night for baseball fans. The Los Angeles Dodgers are World Series champions again. You know, it's been 31 years since their last win. The Dodgers beat the Tampa Bay Rays last night 3-1 in Game 6. And if you're not a huge baseball fan or you just haven't been following this series, the LA Times brings home why a lot of Dodgers fans never dreamed that this could happen. There was the three-decade-long drought, yes, but... Listen, the Dodgers have been doing pretty well these past few years. In the past seven years, they've made it to the division championships. In 2018 and 2019, they made it all the way to the World Series. Tampa Bay started out strong, but the team's manager, Kevin Cash, didn't trust his gut. He was following the formula that brought him to the World Series, you know, relying on analytics over instincts. The LA Times explains, The Rays benched their pitcher, Blake Snell, who had only allowed one hit through the first five innings. After he was pulled in the sixth, the Dodgers scored a two-run homer, and the Rays, well, they were never able to catch up. One dramatic moment came when veteran star Justin Turner was inexplicably called off the field during the eighth inning. It wasn't until the game was over that we found out why. He had tested positive for the coronavirus. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred said that they learned his test results during the game and pulled him out immediately. Turner did make an appearance later on. He returned to the field after the game to hold the trophy and to celebrate with his team. Now the MLB has to start contact tracing to find out who else might be at risk. This is such a bittersweet ending to the MLB season that really tried to keep the virus at bay after an earlier setback. But what a month for Los Angeles, right? I mean, first the Lakers, and now the Dodgers. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.